Hello and welcome to this Expert Insights CD. I'm Donna Hanson. Our Expert Insights CD series is designed to give professionals access to the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on productivity, performance and achievement both in business and personally. We know that these days it's often hard to find time to step outside your world and explore what's happening in other organisations. Our Expert Insights CDs are designed to provide you with concise information on topics relevant to you on a regular basis in a format that maximises your time and keeps you up to date on current trends. In this Expert Insights CD, we have a conversation with a fellow productivity expert, Sally Foley-Lewis. Sally comes from the productivity angle of people, process and communication, and I come from the technology, process and communication angle. And we thought today a conversation to bring the two together would definitely help both our audiences get better personal and organisational productivity. So before we get started, let me tell you a little about Sally Foley-Lewis. With over 20 years experience and an MBA under her belt, Sally's inspired people across a range of industries from health clubs in Germany to shipbuilding yards and oil and gas companies in the Middle East to community organisations in Outback Australia. She's also helped managers and leaders in aviations, telcos, hospitality, education, professional services and finance. With her exceptional qualifications, diverse program and project management and leadership experiences, she's an expert speaker, trainer and facilitator. But above all, Sally's a straight talker with a wicked sense of humour as she skills and inspires people to be where they belong and feel valued. Fantastic. Thanks, Donna. And let me tell you a little bit about Donna. Most organisations follow the pack with technology, yet expect to get ahead. Donna believes you need more. You don't need more staff or gadgets to get more done. You simply need better strategies. With 22 years of learning and development experience, a Bachelor of Training and Development and a certified speaking professional, Donna's worked with organisations in Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, the UK and Japan to increase productivity, performance and profits with everyday technology. She is one of only five people outside of the US accredited to deliver an email productivity program to Microsoft's staff and has made regular appearances on Channel 7 Sunrise program and Channel 9's A Current Affair program as a technology commentator. In our conversation today, Sally and I have come up with a number of topics we know for our work with clients are some of the roadblocks to individual and personal productivity. And we wanted to share with you our, both our takes on it to provide you with some ideas and strategies to ensure they don't block your own or your organisation's productivity. So Sally, let's start out by framing up what productivity means to you. Three piece, three words come together for me when it, when it comes to what productivity means. Effectiveness of effort. To me, productivity is around understanding how can I make the best impact with what I'm doing right now with the resources I have on hand. So it's a in a nutshell, am I being as effective as I can possibly be? And if not, exploring why not and then making the changes. So it's about how we deal with ourselves and the people around us. But what about you, Donna? What does it mean to you? Something a little bit different for me, Sally. I think it's three things. It, well, you thought it was two or three things too. I think it's the, doing the right things at the right time with the right tools. 
as mm. simple as that. So, so that being the case, we've established how, how each of us perceives productivity, which, which isn't too dissimilar. I guess it's just a little framework, different framework that we put around the place that we come from. Um, what do soft skills or people skills have to do with productivity, Sally? I see that the way in which we relate to the people around us and even with ourselves and our communication skills and our mindset and attitude has an absolute direct impact on our productivity. And the example I would give there is if we are constantly in conflict or we're forever putting out fires or we're forever fixing everyone else's problems or we are forever having a negative mindset and negative self-talk or we're being dragged into meetings that aren't controlled and aren't agended and aren't finishing on time, to me there's an obvious impact on, on our ability to achieve great work, you know, increase that bottom line. So that's how I put soft skills and productivity very, very neatly into the same box. You know, and I, and I think that with communication, you know, that includes not just face-to-face but email as well. Do you, what about things like um, organisational negativity where you have people saying bad stuff about the organisation, well, oh, it's another day or, gee, that person, they always say that but they're never going to do it. Do those sort of things have an impact on productivity in your experience? Absolutely. The longer that sort of behaviour goes on and even if you challenge it at one level, most people go, oh, I was only joking. Mm. Yes, that may be so. But if that persists, then we're talking about the culture of the organisation. And if you have a if you have a longitudinal view of that, you'll see that your turnover of employees starts to increase. You'll see staff morale decrease, and you'll see productivity decrease. And so, if we don't if we don't take a line call sometimes and look at the way in which we speak to each other and speak about the work we do, then we need to be being we need to be very careful about how that impacts on actually the work we're getting getting done or in this case not getting done okay what what about trust from an organizational well, trust, perspective trust is massive isn't it i think it's it's a personal thing even in in the workplace if you don't trust someone then how can you communicate with them with a sense of openness and a feeling that you can actually disclose an issue or uh, you can take responsibility easily for something if you don't have the trust in that person? Um, It's really kind of a key piece where people will shut down if they don't feel as though they have their boss or their colleagues watching their back for them. And... You were going to say something? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, you know, the reason I asked about trust is um, I've just returned from the UK and I was talking with a family member over there who was saying, and, and this just blows my mind, um, that from a trust perspective, all their staff have to fingerprint sign on when they arrive to work and they must be at work at their desk 15 minutes before their allocated start time and I'm talking about a service-based industry and if they're not there by a minute past their due start time they're actually uh, docked 15 minutes of paid time and if they stay later in the day to uh, I guess um, uh, make up that time that's not counted. Wow. 
And uh, (laughs) that just sends shivers up my spine. (laughs) I I don't know. Have you seen anything like that here in Australia? I I certainly haven't experienced anything like that. And I was just uh, um, dumbfounded. The question, as you described the scenario for your family member, the question that first popped into my head was, is this a security issue? For example, I'm related to someone who works in the aviation industry. And so there are incredibly strict security issues, as you would hope and imagine, um, on access and exit to the facility and the time in which you access the facility. And that makes a lot of sense. But if you're talking about someone who works in a service industry, that there isn't any security issue, then we have to start looking at what's going on with the culture, what's driving this decision, because it's going to heavily and negatively impact on the productivity and basically the bottom line as well, because if people don't like to be treated like that, if they're not, if there's no real reason for it, if there's not an understanding why that's in place, people are just going to get up and go. That's exactly right. And I just think it it was just really um, surprising. And in fact, it was like a, a gymnasium. So it wasn't like high level ASIO type security. Uh, but it's just interesting to think that even organisational process that people feel they don't have any control over can create this framework of negativity that can impact on productivity that in turn just flow on, don't they? Absolutely. And I think from what you've just said, it I have a little smirk on my face because I have this imagine, I'm very visual. And so I imagine someone like the manager or the owner of this facility is super frustrated with a handful of people turning up late, not really pulling their weight, you know, maybe some products gone missing, you know, just little things like that that over time really annoy the owner. And rightly so, they annoy the owner. That's, you know, it's money going out the door. It's money being wasted. And it's in the handling of that. I I can see that, in, and obviously I don't know the whole story, but I have this imagination that the complete and utter frustration which the manager or owner has, and it's legitimate frustration, is actually driving the resolution process. And I think they've chosen the wrong process. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I just thought I'd flag that because I think we often forget that it's not just the people, there's there's layers of whole other stuff, isn't there? And, and, you Mm. know, the two key things I I don't know about you, but I tend to find are the people and the tools. Um, But we also need to take into account, you know, the the environment itself, don't we? Absolutely. And if they haven't got all the staff on board understanding why it's important to be on time, why we need to do stock control, why we need to be present and and really focused on our work. If the why hasn't actually been um, explained very well and the employees don't get it, then that's the first piece to start with. And so often we are so pushed for time. Managers and leaders struggle with this, but they need to spend more time in the why, more than you even think you should. Mm. Mm. when we spend more time in the why it means that we can get people bought in and engaged a lot quicker and Mm. I think that 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 also holds itself true in in all our communication and um, I know that with what the work you do and Scott made me think about sort of in email because email is such a big thing as well these days um, you know I imagine that you 
come across a lot of concerns, questions and struggles around email. And I want to just ask you, what is it about email that has an impact on productivity, Donna? Well, you know, Sally, that's such an interesting question because I get quite um, a range of responses when I talk to people. Sometimes it's, and, and this just, you know, I have to stifle a giggle every time I hear a client that says to me, we don't have a problem with email. So I've got um, uh, one client in a, in like a, um, a public sector industry, no problem at all with email, but I know that they do because uh, <laughs> they do, <laughs> they just do. Mm. And in other organisations, like, I mean, I've worked with clients, like last week I saw somebody's inbox and he was laughing about the fact that he had 50,000 emails. <laughs> His inbox, <gasps> and I'm going. How can you be productive with that? Maybe I'm just anal and like things organised. I don't know. I'm lucky to have maybe a maximum of ten or twelve in my inbox, um, and just tidy up as I as I go. But fifty thousand. How do you um, how do you propose to be productive with that? Uh, and I think the challenge is. You know, email was originally a tool that was designed to to make our lives easier. So it back in the the good old days, it used to be that you know you could buy yourself some time because somebody'd ring and they'd ask for a quote or some sort of documentation. <clears throat> you know, you'd you'd create the document, uh, you'd print it off, and uh, you'd send it to them by snail mail, and you knew straight away that you had at least a day or two before they got the documentation. They got to read it and they got back to you to to have a chat so it bought you some time but now it's instantaneous you send stuff and and what happens is we're reactive rather than proactive and in effect what we're doing it's almost like just throwing off these statements or pieces of work here and there and just trying to tick things off our own to-do list without realizing the snowballing effect and the implications that sending one email can have that could be counteracted by using another mechanism to to have your questions answered. So um, certainly what I've seen is in rather than making um, less work, it's actually created a whole new layer of work and a layer of expectation in that a lot of people just don't know uh, how they're expected to deal with it. So they create their own um, framework and end up putting undue pressure on themselves. Oh, completely. Everything you just said resonated with me, <laughs> every, every single thing. And I remember a story, and I don't know who, oh, it's years ago now, they were sharing a story about this reporter had been on a, a long sabbatical, came back into the office, and there were 700 and something emails. And I thought, well, if that's for, for a reporter or a journalist, I think that's not much. Mm. But basically sat down at their computer, hit delete on all 700, and almost everyone else in the office had heart attacks. And they're like, why did you do that? And um, he turned around and said, well, if it was urgent, they'll ring me. And I thought, well, that's rash and somewhat one way of handling it. I don't know if necessarily it would be your recommended way. But there was a level of understanding around um, – that framework that we do create for ourselves. But that person obviously felt really, really comfortable in their process. 
Mm. And, you know, people can feel comfortable in their process, but the challenge is when you're in an organisation where there's certain expectations, there's legal obligations, etc. like we've got clients where, you know, from a human resources or a finance or a legal perspective, you need to retain all of that documentation for such a long period of time just in case it's ever needed. And so everybody's got this, I call it CYA, the cover your... Mm donkey <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> they cover your donkey and um you know the the whole idea is you know with things like the example that you shared you know there's some simple things that people can do like instead of starting at the top to deal with their emails when they come back from holidays start at the bottom uh, and uh, or sorry instead of starting at the bottom start at the top and work your way down because you'll often find some of the questions people had a day or two after you left the office if you've been away for three weeks they've probably been answered well they're no longer important anymore uh, that people are just throwing things off because uh, it ticks a box for them and, and gets them moving on um, the other thing that, that I've uh, done in the past and I've recommended to clients is when you actually go on extended leave, so, you know, some organisations have protocols around you have to put an out-of-office on if you're going to be out of the office for 24 hours. Uh, you know, every organisation has their own protocols. Well, I say if you're off for more than a, a week, you might want to put something in your out-of-office that says, I'm away from the office. Uh, this is the person that you need to talk to. Uh, when I return, I'll be deleting any emails that I've received in that period of time. Uh, and, um, you know, if, if something comes up, you know, you can contact me after I return. Now, I've had a number of people, you know, go gasp, shock, horror. But my <laughs> thoughts are you've got the choices to whether you choose to delete them all or not. But you're creating an expectation and awareness to the people that are sending you stuff that you're not actually going to look at it because when you come back, you're going to be overloaded. So, and, and that's the third thing I want to mention about, uh, about those, um, those leave pieces. And that is when you return on your first day back, you don't want to be jumping into three-hour meetings straight off the bat. You want to make sure that you schedule in, you know, a half hour or 45 minutes of, you know, sort of solitary time when you get back into the office to to deal with your email so that you're calm and you can get stuck into your, uh, your week. Uh, but, yeah, it can be really, really overwhelming. And certainly um, with the clients I'm working with, we're looking at ways that we can get people off the computer and in the case of sales, teams that I'm working with getting them out selling again more face-to-face -face time Completely. so what are mm. your thoughts around email and its impact on productivity in your work Sally I think uh, ditto to everything you just said and I think that people get caught up with uh, subscribing to all sorts of newsletters and promises and you know whiz-bang fix-alls and everything that's out there and I I have this little mantra that if 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 it's a weekly email newsletter that you've subscribed to and you've not read it for four weeks in a row, then you need to unsubscribe. And mm -hmm. um, and I know that I've heard with a lot of small businesses, particularly, they say, "Oh, but it's a friend of mine and it's their newsletter." I said, "Okay, well, if you've got two email addresses, and this is what I've got, I've got a Gmail and I've got my email, and." My supporting my friends <laughs> goes into my Gmail <laughs> and it gets reviewed less regularly than my daily email. And um, 
I'm very vigilant about, very vigilant, that's a good, good phrase, I'm incredibly vigilant about making sure that if I haven't read something in a reasonable amount of time, then get rid of it. It's really stressful watching all these emails come in and, get, and your inbox getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you don't feel like you're getting on top of it. There's no sense of achievement in that. That's just, to me, that equates to the to-do list. If your to-do list has got more than 10 things on it, then it's going to overwhelm you. Well, that's interesting you say about uh, emails from friends. I've almost developed a culture where uh, none of my friends email me, and I actually like it that way. Um, I... (laughs) I have a strategy where, you know, when I say that to people, I say, you know, I'll put some of my friends into junk mail, so I'll mark them as junk, and it just goes, straight. I'm, I'm horrible, just goes, straight, just goes straight to deleted items. I'm not blocking them, so they never know they're blocked. They just think I get the emails, and and then when they ring and say, did you get my email about? I go, oh no, I must have missed that. And now what I'm doing is letting all our listeners on to it, but that's okay. <laughs> Well, that's I, out of the bag, folks. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually think that, um, you know, we create the stress for ourselves sometimes and, and uh, you know, I... Um you know, I know that, um, you know, we, we create these expectations. I had another example of a client of mine that I was working with and she left her email open all day and uh, she'd have the, like, dialogue back and forward with the customer and then after about the third response from her customer, she got distracted, she had to go off and do something and about 15 minutes later she got a phone call and I'm, I'm look, this is probably just me, Sally. I'm probably sure this has never happened to you or any of our listeners. But um, uh, she got a phone call from somebody who said, did you get my email? Oh, I'm sure that happens to everyone. <laughs> so, yes. um, and, you know, so the reality is it's become uh, our primary communication tool when really mm-hmm. it should just be a mechanism by which we can support uh, conversations and discussions we've had and, and that's certainly something that I push with my clients is that you know use it as a tool to confirm conversations and not as the conversation exactly and I think the piece that out of what you just said that resonated with me is that when they went away they created a little bit of scarcity mm. and this sometimes freaks people out but it's okay to not be contactable for a little while yeah absolutely not and days and hours but just create that little bit of scarcity because it allows people to stop and think and maybe problem solve on their own, mm-hmm. number one. Mm-hmm. It allows it allows you to get on and complete something and if it's that urgent, they will find you. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I just think sometimes we do. We just make it a little bit too easy for us to get to each other. Now, I'm mindful that you and I, I'm positive, could talk the leg off a chair, yes. to use an Aussie-ism there. Uh, and I know we've got so many questions that, that I want to ask, as, as I'm sure you do. Are there any specific skill areas that you deal with that you could share that demonstrate an impact on productivity? I know we've probably touched on a few. Yes, I'd say that there's probably three core ones and two of them are related to people who actually manage and lead others. So from that perspective, I'll do those two first and then I'll, I'll add the third one in after that. Yep. And the first two skills, and I deal with these a lot, and that is delegation and feedback. When a manager or a leader really does delegate successfully, then the productivity and the value add even after that is phenomenal. Because you get 
as the manager, you get stuff, and I mean stuff, off your plate and being done and handled by those people who should actually be doing it and handling it. And you're also using it as a developmental opportunity so that others are training others. So that what happens is you don't become, you you, you don't stay the bottleneck for decisions. You don't stay the bottleneck for progress. You can actually start thinking more strategically. And the, the, the reason why we have managers and leaders is that they're meant to be the ones who do the thinking, yet we don't have enough thinking time. And so we also feel as though if we are perceived as just sitting and doing nothing, which we're not, we're thinking, what does that look like? And I think we have to undo that. So delegation is a really key skill that I think needs to be finessed and fine-tuned and mastered as something of an opportunity to increase productivity. The second one is feedback. And when we give feedback, we're actually helping people to be as good as they can be, to do better, to drive their performance higher, whether it's praise or whether we're trying to correct something. And I think what stops really good quality feedback conversations is our own mindset. And I think some of the listeners will know that if they think about a situation where someone's just driving them mad and they don't know how to have that conversation and and the script that plays in the head is, oh, it's just going to be awful, they're going to cry, they're going to be victim, they're going to blame, I don't want to have this conversation, it's just going to be a hassle, they're going to be a crier, they're going to be a mess, I'll get called into HR, they'll accuse me of bullying, and on it goes. And this is the tape that plays in our heads, and we've got to stop that. Before we even say anything to the other person, we need to change our own mindset and say, I really want this employee to perform to the standard that I know they can. I'm going to have a helpful conversation, not a difficult conversation. And what happens is the minute we can change our frame of mind, our frame of reference around what this conversation will look like and we actually have a good quality open two-way conversation, that stops the poor performance and at least addresses the poor performance so the employee knows that you know the employee knows or can start exploring ways to improve and therefore productivity can improve. And even from a praise perspective, if we actually give someone some praise and say, is this something that could be done elsewhere? Is there some other opportunity? How much more support would you need to make this even better? They're productivity type questions that come out or results that come out of feedback conversations. Mm. So I think delegation and feedback are massively important and are underutilized and not done well and that's what I love doing and helping leaders do. The third piece I wanted to think uh, put together when it comes to people skills is around conflict. We have a lot of conflict going on in organisations mm. that's unnecessary, and it usually stems from not stating our intention in the first place. So I want you to imagine somebody does something and it ticks you off, mm-hmm. but you don't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And it just festers away, festers away, and then they do it again. And, you you know, you ramp up your festering a bit and you get a bit more cranky and then it happens again and you explode and the other person's looking at you like you've just lost your banana. So without actually checking in on intention, we can really lose our bottle unnecessarily. If somebody does something and it ticks you off, then go and ask what their intention was. Just check in and say, look, I noticed you did this. What's that about? You know, can you help me understand why you've done it this way? 
have a conversation and, and seek to understand, which is Stephen Covey's mm-hmm. piece. You know, seek to understand. And when you understand, then, you, then you've got opportunity. And what happens is you stop festering and wasting time, effort, energy, festering and being annoyed at the other person so you can actually get on with some work. Number two, you can either work out whether they actually know what they've done is wrong or number three, you can learn, oh, look at that, there's a different way of doing something. Mm. So do you see how if we go and check intentions, we can improve on productivity? But it also goes the same is if we're about to do something that, that's kind of new or a bit unusual for everyone, state your intention. Absolutely. Absolutely. State it up front. And even when, and that's where that links in with feedback conversations as well. My intention of this conversation is to have a really open two-way chat with you, explore where you're at because I am seeing this and I know that your performance is usually better. So my intention is to have a conversation about how I can help you and what you can do to get your performance back up to where I know it can be. Mm. And so what happens is if the conversation then goes off tracks a little bit, you can come back to, well, like I said before, my intention is about and restate your intention. So you come back to that almost the goal of the conversation, the, the intention of the conversation is the piece that you can come back to to bring back down any escalation to allow things that can go off track to come back to the topic so i think intention is something that's massively important for all of us not just leaders and managers but every single one of us Mm. i I think for me following Mm. on from what you've said there um what it means for me is um, and you've touched on that with intention, is assumptions. Mm-hmm. And I, I know mm-hmm. we, we're going to talk about assumptions a little bit later, but one of the things that I find is the specific area that I deal with with my clients is around that assumptive piece and communication. So two of those key things uh, there. And, and people being busy versus being productive. So <laughs> understanding the difference between those two. And, and you know, I often talk to clients about uh, some examples that I experienced when I was working with the team at Microsoft. And uh, although, you know, obviously I can't share that proprietary process, what I can share is one of the key things that our program working with Microsoft focused on was making sure that uh, staff understood that their primary purpose in their role was to meet their key performance indicators. Mm. And the question they should be asking themselves about whether they have a meeting, about whether they have, if they send an email, about whether they calendarize something was, is this going to lead me towards achieving my KPIs or away from it? And if it was away from it, what was the reasoning behind that? Was there some reason, was this in order to get some alignment or support on something else that they were working on? So being quite purposeful and mm. certainly you know the assumptions around and and I'm working a lot um, in in the last six to 12 months I've been working a lot with sales teams and productivity with uh, with technology and uh, the expectation that people um, understand how as a group we're going to use email well that's like saying you know you, you you're understanding how um, the rest of your family is going to uh, respond to a piece of news that you're going to give them you know you're just making an assumption or applying your own um, 
feelings, actions or emotions around something to somebody else and just assuming everybody's going to be the same. So often if I'm doing email management with a sales team, for example, it might be asking the question, how soon do you respond? How quickly should you respond to an email? And I get a variety of answers from (laughs) straight away to it depends to uh, it depends on if I know uh, the answer. It depends on who it's from. It depends on when I get it. And what that does is it opens up a dialogue in amongst the group and creates a communication piece which is ultimately what email is meant to do let's have a conversation around how as a team we're going to use email so that like a a sporting team we all know what direction we're headed in we all know what the expectations are we all know that we only use email for this purpose So it's about creating some clarity around that and ensuring that we're not just busy, we're productive. Oh, completely. And you and I are so on the same page because (laughs) you talk about how how soon do you respond to an email, whereas when I'm working with my clients, I talk to them, tell me what you define ASAP as. Yeah. And it's just hilarious when you have – a group of people who all work in the same organization and I forced them to think of ASAP in time mm-hmm. and split that even further. It's ASAP when you are sending an ASAP versus ASAP when you're receiving one. Absolutely. Oh, it's a delight. It's just an amazing conversation. Like you said, completely the dialogue, dialogue opens up and allows the group to say, Oh, no wonder. No wonder we're having so many issues. But you know what? We're losing so much time as a result of just not having those conversations, which really is exactly what we're both talking about today. You know, it's, it's taking the time to clearly understand the expectations so that we can all be working together on you know joint goals and joint outcomes that we we need to um, we need to achieve. So we, we're fast running out of time, and I want to mm. ask a few more questions. Yes. So where does technology fit in your approach to people and productivity? I love technology. I'm a little bit of a player with technology myself. I wouldn't say I'm an early adopter, but I'm not exactly a laggard either. But one of the things I I talk about. And I don't actually talk about a lot of hacks with people. I might have a few little apps that I suggest. But my point is, is if you want to build more technology into your productivity, then find someone like Donna Hansen, number one. Number two, if you spend more time chopping and changing between different technologies, spend more time trying to understand a technology than actually getting a return on the investment, we have to have a serious conversation. And... I have nothing against technology. I think it's it's really important to explore any new technology that you want to adopt of how it's going to give you a return on investment. And pilot periods and trialing things I think are incredibly important and I think one of the things that falls down when we do have a trial period of something is that we start it, we get all excited about it, we get in it and we, we don't think to review it. The review piece gets dropped. And I think one of the things that's really important is that they that that whole process gets followed through. Um, there are a gazillion apps. There's some fantastic technology that is forever and always being improved upon, and it's important to keep an eye on it. But I'm not someone who will stand in front of a room and suggest any one particular piece of technology. I want to know that you're getting the absolute most out of it, which I think is um. Where you and I might have 
a really good complementary kind of perspective on it. You know, I'm, I wanted to ask you about, you know, do you find your clients make assumptions about what their staff or team members do or, or don't know about technology? Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the classic scenarios I get is um, a situation where we might have a, a chief financial officer or an accountant who assumes because they know how to do um, complex pivot tables that everybody in their team knows how to do them or that they should know how to do them. And sometimes it's a matter of saying, you know, um, um, uh, whoa, let's let's pull back on the reins a bit because realistically, we it, it's not just about knowing how to do something; it's working out whether it's worthwhile having that person doing something, and is the risk equating to the reward or are we better to for example lock up an excel worksheet in such a way that only certain people can get access to certain areas minimizing the risk and it also means that when you're looking at data it's it's more likely to be accurate and mm. there's plenty of examples uh, available on the internet i know that uh, there was a big article called excel ruined the world a couple of years ago and it was all about errors in spreadsheets for big financial institutions in the u.s and how errors in spreadsheets meant that uh, it had serious financial consequences on uh, uh, organisations like Fannie Mae who were part of the subprime mortgage um, market. Mm. So, yeah, ab absolutely. What, what about some uh, assumptions on productivity for you, Sally? I was having a great conversation with someone at a networking event recently and when I mentioned that I was, I, I, I play in the space of productivity, he said, oh, you need to tell me. My staff, you know, they're forever, you know, on Facebook and they're doing social media during work time. And I said, okay, so are you focused on the amount of hours that they are in, a, in attendance at work or are you focused on the outcome that they achieve? And he said, well, do, do I have to have one or the other? And I said, maybe not. But here's the thing. If you have a social media policy in place, then they need to be made aware of it. Do you have a social media policy, number one? Number two, are they getting the work done? Number three, do you know what they're doing social media about? Is it promoting the organisation? Because the assumption that every time everyone's on social media, it's always going to be a negative about or it's a detractor from the organisation. Or I think the assumption that social media, particularly from a lot of organisations organizations perspectives, is that it's just a time suck when it actually isn't always a time suck. It is a valuable tool for a lot of, a lot of purposes. And the other assumption that I really come up against is, um, but how much time is it going to take to actually fix that? It's going to take too much time to fix it. Well, maybe, but also maybe not. Mm. You know, I think there's, um, there's a, when we don't identify a problem and we don't actually explore what that problem is, the, the image we might have of that problem about technology or its impact on what we're doing is so much bigger. Now, I'm just going to I'm just going to grab on one of those points that yes. you made there, and that was around um, you know social media policy. One of the things that really gets on my nerves mm. is, and again, I'm probably sure maybe I'm the only ever person that this has happened to, is when I hear from a client, oh yes, we've told them that. 
Mm. Now, my thoughts are if you've told somebody something and you're expecting them to remember it, well, good luck with that. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, just, you know, it's like I consider when you're trying to share information in your organization, it's almost like marketing, isn't it? You know, and they say that the the, um, magic numbers around seven, you need to touch base with people seven times before they potentially buy. Well, the same applies when you're sharing important knowledge you know I had a a client who purchased a whole range of my video clips on how to do things in Word and Excel and they said oh we'll put them up on our server and we'll just send an email out to let everybody know that they're there and I said no 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 we need to consistently market to them and and so we created a newsletter scenario where we touched people once a month and reminded them to get in there and and have a look at those things it was enough to be non-intrusive but enough to just remind them gently that those things were there rather than going well why aren't you using them exactly and I think we'll take that a step further I worked with a very small childcare organization about two years ago now we sat down with everyone all the staff and there's just over a dozen of us in the room and and I was the facilitator of getting the whole group to create their own social media policy so it wasn't just about continuously marketing it was about getting input and so the framework was put up around, you know, the impact of social media and technology on our time, our productivity, who are our stakeholders, um, you know, what, what as a team, if we're here to serve the children of this community, because it was a childcare centre, and our stakeholders are the children, the board, the parents, blah, 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 then what should, what's an acceptable level of social media? What sort of language? What sort of this? How do we represent the organization? Do we do social media as a group or separate? And so we facilitated that day so that the whole group were representative in creating their own policy. Now, big, big multinational organizations can't necessarily have everyone in the room creating the policy. However, input and representation from different areas helps with that marketing process and helps with a deeper engagement of it. Mm-hmm. Now, Sally, we're fast coming to an end uh, yes. of our time together because <laughs> I'm convinced uh, that we could both talk for hours about this subject and we really need to wrap things up. Let's sure. just let's just close out by working out what are three people skills that you could share with our listeners that could have an immediate positive impact on productivity, not a negative impact, a positive impact. <laughs> For sure. Uh, The first tip I would say is to, before giving an answer, ask a question. Mm. And when you ask that question, be quiet and listen. So often we jump in too early and we miss valuable information. And so often we're so busy that we just want to get get on with it that if we don't stop and be present and pay attention, we miss the unspoken as well as the spoken. So just instead of giving an answer, ask a question. And that increases engagement and productivity. The second tip I would say is to shift your mindset from the difficult conversation to the helpful conversation. Have the the assumption that people are trying to do their best, even though it might not work out that way. Most people... And it's there are statistics, but you know there's there's most people really actually do want to do a good job. So if we start from that mindset, then the conversations we have are going to be far more positive. And I think the biggest one, and I'll save it for last, is spending time to get to know your people. 
And there's a great line that I was taught when I was um, a young green leader for the first time. And the line was, you cannot hate the person whose story you know. And what that, I'll, I'll repeat it, you cannot hate the person whose story you know. Now, the more you and I get to know each other, the more your listeners connect with their team members, their staff, their senior managers. And I don't mean you need to know everybody's dirty laundry, but the better the relationship, the more I'm going to trust you, the more I'm going to be able to say, hey, I don't get what you're doing here. Can you explain it to me? Or, hey, I don't know if you did that well, but because we've got a good relationship, you're going to be more willing to accept me challenging you respectfully than if you and I don't trust each other. Mm. And so relationship building is number one, hands down, that's where the gold is when it comes to productivity with people skills. So, yeah. so questions, shifting the mindset and relationships, building relationships. Yeah. What about you, Donna? What are your three tips? Okay. My three tips are, first of all, communicate. We mm. need to talk to each other if we want to get more productive with our technology. Don't assume. So don't assume that what you know is what everybody else knows. And that's a common thing. And the third one is you've got to switch off to switch on. And by that I mean sometimes the best place to get the best work done is actually off the computer and either talking to people or working on things where you're not disrupted. So, for example, if you've got a regular report that you do that, that is quite um, uh, mentally time-consuming, you might consider, and, you know, I've had people almost turn white when I suggest this, switch off your email to allow you to have 100% concentration and focus on a task that you need to do and you'll find you actually get it done a lot more quickly so that's communicate don't assume and switch off to switch on oh, i love that that's gold that's <laughs> so, absolute gold so sally look i don't know about you but i've got quite a few gold nuggets out of our conversation today and i'm sure our listeners have if some of them want to get in contact with you how's the best way for them to do that Fantastic. Thanks, Donna. Uh, email at sally at sallyfoleylewis.com, which is S-A-L-L-Y at S-A-L-L-Y-F-O-L-E-Y-L-E-W-I-S.com or check out all the Ws, sallyfoleylewis.com. Fantastic. Look, thank you, listeners, for joining us for this Expert Insights CD. For more information on our services, visit donnahanson.com.au or the three Ws, primesolutions.net.au. Until next time, this is Donna Hanson, technology strategist, helping you work smarter and not harder with technology. Bye for now. <laughs>